may not be seated, and we'll have the main message for the day entitled, Elijah and the Prophets of Baal in the 21st Century, by Brother Louis Anani. Good afternoon, my brothers and sisters. It's good to be with you once again here in Burlington. And for those that may be online with us, good afternoon. As you have heard the title of the message, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, the way you say it, in the 21st century. We know this story in the pages of the Bible, which part of which we've read in the scripture reading. This is fairly an ancient story. But how can we relate to this story now in the 21st century? <clears throat> Brethren, the times that we're living in in this age is full of events and issues. And these could literally cause somebody to pass out. One is unsure what the next day would bring. It is difficult a time to be alive. Even for those of us who understand that this is just the beginning of sorrows. We live in the age of sin. Men and women are no longer ashamed of the practice of sin. Issues that were previously discussed as conspiracies are now seen as conspiracy facts, as our brother Adrian put it in his Bible studies. As Bible students and followers of the God of the Bible, we have understanding. The sure word of prophecy should shine a light for us in this darkness. We have a reasonable idea of how all these things would eventually play out and what the end game is. However, sometimes we need to pay attention to how to put the little puzzles of the happenings around us and how they fit into the overall picture that God has revealed for us in the pages of the scriptures. So today, I would like us to take a look at a major contest 
which we have already alluded to. And this contest took place in the past in one of the darkest moments of Israel's life as a nation. I'm referring, of course, to the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. With the template of this ancient contest, we will bring it forward to the 21st century. If we are looking at the players in the contest, can we see idolatry, that is Baal worship, in the renewed environmental movement of our day? Well, my goal in this message is to show the deception of the environmental movement as a cover-up for idolatry and the renewed and the strengthened false and eclectic religious system. And then I also want to show that this movement stands in direct opposition to the God of heaven and earth. So for your consideration and for your later meditation, I will end by posing the question, and I will reserve the question for now, but I will pose the question for you to think through and meditate. Meditate as you live here. So brethren, we're going to launch straight into the scripture reading that we refer to in First Kings. And if I could get something to come keep track of how I'm doing with time, I don't have anything here. Okay, thank you. First Kings chapter 18. And brethren, before we get into reading it, let's capture a little bit of the contest um, prior to chapter 18. Keep in mind that after Solomon, Solomon bringing idolatry into Israel through the many women that he became affiliated with. God split the kingdom into two. The southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Preserving the southern kingdom because of his sure promise that he made. So we have Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Rehoboam in the southern kingdom and Jeroboam in the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom being carrying the name the kingdom of Israel. So this story is situated in the context of the northern kingdom. And it's also situated at a time when after 
Jeroboam, who also did so bad before God, that he became actually the standard of how bad people get. And so people after Jeroboam were always referenced back to him in terms of how bad they did. And so after Jeroboam, we have other kings that followed uh, Nadab, Basha, Elah, Zimri, Timni, Omri. All these kings came one after the other ruling the kingdom of Israel in the north. And all these kings ruled according to the way Jeroboam did. Evil. Idolatry. Then after Omri came Ahab. And Ahab actually raised the standard beyond Jeroboam's standard. He was so evil in partnership with his wife Jezebel. So things got so bad that out of the mouth of Elijah, God pronounced a judgment that there's not going to be rain. There's going to be a period that there's going to be that big drought. And that would only be resolved only by the word of God. Unless God speaks back. Rain into the land. There wasn't going to be any rain. So in this period of sin. And physical tribulation on the people of Israel. That is within this contest. That the contest of Elijah and the prophets of Baal took place. Before we read um, chapter 18, let's pick up a little bit about Ahab and his reign in chapter 17. Give me a second, please. First Kings 17, 29 to 34. Did I get it right? Sixteen. Sorry. So we have 16 and let's look at the reign of Ahab. Verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king of Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria, 
22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took a wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Idbal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, um, Jericho was being rebuilt, but um, I will end it there. So Ahab, God says, he is surpassing Jeroboam now with the evil that he did, importing the God Baal, putting up a temple in Samaria for this God. And so, during this time, Elijah had a message for the king. God sent him and told Elijah that there wasn't going to be rain for many days. So, we're reading here in chapter 18... After the going on of the drought, and Ahab and his lieutenant, Obadiah, are looking at their livestock that they are almost dying. So they want to go and find some pasture for them. So they want to go where there are springs. Perchance because of the springs and the softness of the area, the fertile ground, they may find some pasture there in order to keep the livestock alive. So they go in different directions looking for pasture. And in doing that, Obadiah comes into contact with Elijah, who the king is looking for. And he's gone everywhere and can't find Elijah. People who have lost their lives, because of Elijah. Because you see Elijah, he's here. You go and tell the king, you come back, he's not there. You saw him. But by the time you come back, he's gone. And the king is going to be after your life for deceit. So Obadiah encountered Elijah. And he was so scared, so afraid. That you, this man that I have seen. And on top of that. Elijah is telling him, go and tell Ahab that you've seen me. He said, what do you want me to do? You want me to be dead? By the time I come back, you're gone? But God had already told Elijah to go and present himself before Ahab. Because time was ripe for the contest. So, 
Elijah convinced Obadiah that today I'm really going to see the king. So Obadiah go and send a word to the king. So now 18, it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house, as I've told you, to go looking for a place where they can get some pasture to feed the animals. So I'm not going to repeat that. That is the story that now Elijah is presenting himself before the king. Now let's jump down to... Verse 15, Elijah is now convincing him, and he said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to the king today. So Obadiah went and met Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab, verse 17, saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And keep this phrase in mind. Because we heard it in the book of Acts. When things get so dark, and you stand for good, you will be considered evil. So just as the king is considering Elijah, the evil man, the one who is troubling Israel, instead of them acknowledging that their sins is what is bringing the troubles. But he wouldn't see that. So Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the vows. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asher who eat at Jezebel's table. Go and bring the people of Israel. Bring the prophets that you rely on. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And this is what he said. Elijah said. How long will you falter? Between two opinions. Israel, my people, how long are you going to think that you can make up your mind? 
How long are you going to think that you can do a little bit of God, a little bit of idolatry and mix them up? You need to make up your mind. How long are you going to be between two opinions? You better be cold or you better be hot. When you look home, God will spew out of his mouth. So, what we see here is setting the stage for the contest. And he said, if, if Lord is God, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, in other words, is God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. So let's stop here and push it a little bit into the 21st century because now this, the, 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 the table or the, the stage, I would say, is being set now. That you can be between two opinions. You either for your God, the Lord, or for Baal. And so, let's start with Baal. This is a God that's been worshipped in the vicinity before the Israelites got to the land. It's worshipped under different names and different arrangements. And it does mention Asherah. And it's, it's believed that Asherah is related to Baal by marriage. That's what some scholars say. Baal has been considered the ruler of the heavens. Baal has been considered the god of the sun. Baal has been considered the god of rain. Baal has been considered the god of thunder. Baal has been considered the god of fertility. And Baal has been considered god of agriculture. Some of his titles include rider of the clouds, almighty, lord of the earth. And he's the protector of crops. And livestock. This God that we are talking about, which is standing in opposition to the Creator, is what I propose to you that is behind the environmental movement. And you would say, what are you talking about? You look at different 
situations where Baal has been worshipped that I just mentioned, and this is from um, um, an encyclopedia. This is not by even a religious, quote-unquote, fanatic who is making it up. This is an academic trying to identify who this God is. When the environmental movement started, a lot of people joined it. And I've told people that I come from a part of the land back in Ghana that if you talk to me about environmental consciousness and conservation, and I don't agree with you, then I don't understand what the whole thing is about. Because the place where my community back in Ghana is all full of gold. When I was younger, when it rains and it go through the drainage on the ground, you could literally pick a stick and pick gold. And people did that and sold it. And so with time, now you go to the area and it's being mined left and right. The local indigents use primitive implements and they're digging everywhere. The places where when I was growing up, we go to farm to make farm, they are all now gone. Mind for God. I have some slides that I removed them. I could have shown you a picture of the way they dig pits. I could have shown you a river before the gold and after the gold. And you see, you can't, you can't make that it's a river. It's like a mud. There are rivers that are dead because we kill them in terms of destroying the life in it. What I'm saying is that there is a reality of man's action on this planet that we can hide from, that we need to do something about our activities, the things that we do. If we destroy things, we can't run away from it. So I know for a fact. But it's different from environmentalism. So the environmentalism will sell you some narrative that this is what we are about. And you follow it. But if you follow it to the end, you see that it's not really about conservation. It's about worship. And that is what my goal here is to show so that we know what we are dealing with in this day and age. And environmentalism has been going on and on and on for so many years. But where is the renewal coming from? The renewed energy. Where is that coming from? I don't know if you pay attention to what happened, what's happened now in the United States. Because of a tiny little girl, 16-year-old girl, now in the United States, mobilizing the environmental activists for 
a major showdown on the 20th of September. You have to watch it. And the 27th of October. And then after that, let's see how things play out in the United States. What is the influence on this young woman? And that's what I gave you the slide. So I'm going to quickly run through some of the slides. And the whole thing that I'm doing here is to show you the ball in the 21st century. And how the contest is still on. So the ball that is hiding in the environmental movement, we're going to strip it open. You see in your first slide what is called an encyclical. It's just a letter that every pope writes some of these letters to their faithful, the Catholic community. So Pope Francis wrote an encyclical and the title of the encyclical is Laudato Laudato si, laudato si, on care for our common home. And this document, he addressed it not just to Catholics. He addressed it to the whole world. So his audience is the whole world. He's not talking to his people. He's talking to everybody. And this was in 2015. Now, this document, if you read it, the analysis, this is about 180 plus page document. And if you read it, the analysis there's academic analysis of how we got here. How, there's so much beautiful things that some of it you read is, is like you're reading some professor's document from the university. You will not be able to question a lot of stuff because it is academic exercise. If you don't agree, you don't agree, just like any academic document. But in terms of the rigor of the analysis and the argument, it's spot on. But then buried it. Within the document are little snippets of intent and of purpose and of deception. So, this is what the Catholic.org, www.catholic.org, which is a Catholic website, this is what they say in the second slide. And they said, The attention that the media has given to the encyclical before its publication has primarily concentrated on aspects tied to the environmental policies currently being discussed on the global agenda. And they say, Certainly, Lodato C., can and must have impact 
on important and urgent decisions be, to be made in this area. And they say, however, so there's a turning point for them. However, the magisterial, pastoral, and the spiritual dimensions of the document must not be put in second place. Its value, breadth, and depth cannot be reduced to the mere scope of determining environmental policies. Oh, so if you thought that the document was an environmental document, they, and the discussion is so big on environmentalism. And they say, if you thought that the document is an environmental document, we Catholics, we're telling you that the legal aspects, that's magisterial, the pastoral aspect and the spiritual dimensions, please don't relegate that to the background. I didn't say this. This is not my document. And this is not my comment. So we don't want you to just think that it's just an environmental policy. This is a spiritual thing. This is a pastoral issue. And is the Pope have the whole world as his constituent to pastor? No. But he takes it upon himself that he's going to pastor the whole world. And then you go to the first page of the document. First page, first paragraph. And this is what you read. Lato, laudato si, mi signor. That's Latin. And all that it means is pray be to you, my Lord. I don't have any problem with that. And then he goes on to say, in the words of this beautiful canticle, St. Francis of Assisi reminds us that our common home is like a sister with whom we share our life and a beautiful mother who opens her arms to embrace us. Praise be to you, my Lord, through our sister, Mother Earth who sustains and governs us, and who produces various fruits, colored flowers, and herbs. Right from get-go, the Pope starts setting the stage for idolatry. You know, when you read the Psalms, you will find a lot of what we call uh, personification. When the Bible says, all the trees should clap their hands and praise God. You're not thinking that the trees clap their hands and praise God. You don't, you don't think that way. But the trees have been personified. But don't make a mistake to think that in this document, the Laudatosi, the Pope is personifying the earth. No. He's telling you what they believe about the earth. And they'll say more. So when they start addressing God through a medium, you're addressing uh, your God through a medium. And that medium that you're addressing, that God, is the earth. So the earth as a symbol or as a medium of worship. And this phrase is quoted from a canticle. And this was written by St. Francis of Assisi long ago. 
And I have put the whole canticle in the document for you to look at. But the elements, all the elements are worshipped. And St. Francis invoked them. And I look up the word invocation in a common dictionary. So according to Catholic.org, they say that the encyclical, the Pope's letter, took its name from the invocation. That is their word, not my word. From the invocation of St. Francis Assisi. And then you look up the word invocation. What does it mean? The action of invoking something or someone for assistance as an authority. Or the summoning of deity or a supernatural. Or an incantation used to invoke a deity or supernatural. These are the definitions of invocation. So when they say that at that time St. Francis was doing an invocation, what was he doing? He is asking for assistance. He is asking for help. He is asking for something from some deities. And who are these deities? The first deity that we've talked about is the earth. The next deity in the canticle, he talked about, praise be to you, Lord, with all your creatures, especially our brother Sam. Who is the day through whom you give us light? And then you go, praise be to you, Lord, through sister moon and stars. And the strangest of all is that he said, praise be to you, my Lord, through sister death. I didn't think anybody would even begin to make death anything worth invoking. He said, from whom no one living can escape. Oh, so that is the hope of St. Francis Assisi, that from death, no living can escape. Woe to those who die in mortal sin. Blessed are they she finds doing his will. Well, he seems to be suggesting that if you die doing good, then that's okay. But he's invoking death. We don't invoke death. We don't call on death. The Bible says the last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. And you're invoking it? So, St. Francis had a bigger picture of invoking the elements. The sun, the stars, the moon. And then I didn't mention this. He said, praise be to you, my Lord, true brothers, wind and air. Calling out all these elements. But if you thought that they're probably using these words, they don't mean what they're saying. Okay, listen to this. Slide, that will be page four. It says, page four, the second slide, the universe unfolds in God. 
who fills it completely. Hence, there is a mystical meaning to be found in a leaf, in a mountain trail, in a dew drop, in a poor person's face. Paragraphs 159 in the document, you find the Pope saying this. There's a mystical meaning. What is that mystical meaning? In a leaf. There is God. That's what he's saying. Without telling you. There is God in all these. That is pantheism. That is God in everything. Even in a leaf. Even in a mountain trail. Even in a dew. Even in a poor person's face. You can find God everywhere. Well. Let's keep going. He will say it more clearly. Let's look at the last paragraph in that slide. The rest, you can look at them. But, okay, I don't want you to miss this one because we will come back to it. Through our worship of God, we are invited to embrace the world on a different plane. Water, oil, fire, colors. They are all taken up in their symbolic power and incorporated in our art of praise. These are serious occultic elements in worship. Color, especially. You can go and find some Buddhist and Hindu prayer stuff and look at the colors. You'll be amazed. As for oil, less said about it, that's okay. But the last paragraph... It's a prayer that the Pope makes at the end of the document. And he says, he's referring to Jesus because the Son of God, Jesus, through you all things are made. You were formed in the womb of Mary, our mother. You became part of this earth and you gaze upon this world with human eyes. Today, you are alive in every creature in your risen glory. Jesus Christ is risen and he is alive in every creature. That is God. It's in everything. That is the pantheistic view that the Pope is presenting to the world buried in an environmental document. I was talking about the elements. When I was younger, Back in Ghana, there was a, a, a TV show called Cap- Captain Planet. And it involves the, four, the five continents and powers from each of the five continents that comes to the rescue of the earth when things are going wrong. We watched that. We didn't think it. I had no clue what was going on until I started understanding these things and then i went to you can look at it on your smartphone if you just search for captain planet on your smartphone the app comes up and this is the introduction i didn't download it but this is just their own introduction they say introduce introduction to captain planet gaia guardians 
up. What is Gaia? And he said, our world is in a peril. That, isn't that what the environmentalists are saying? The world is in a peril. Gaia, spirit of the earth, can no longer stand the terrible destruction plaguing the planet. This is a game. But is this a game? Gaia can no longer stand. So she gives five magic rings to five special people. From Africa, Kwame, with the power of earth. From North America, Wheeler, with the power of fire. From Russia, Linka, with the power of wind. From Asia, Guy, with the power of water. And from South America, Mati, with the power of the heart. With the five powers combined, they summon, invoke, the earth's greatest champion, Captain Planet. People, this is what Laudato Sea is about. It's about invoking spirits, gods, for the world to worship. The earth is worshiping Ghana. I know that. It's they, they pray to the earth. And it's worshipped in a lot of civilizations. The earth has been worshipping a lot of civilizations. But one civilization where the United Nations is borrowing from recently is Bolivia. What comes to mind? Bolivia, Brazil? Look at the Amazon. When the Amazon was on fire, what did you hear? The earth has been worshipped in Bolivia forever. But out of that worship, they have been able, the president of Bolivia was able to influence the United Nations to turn F-Day, which was in existence from the 70s, into Mother F Day. So since 2009, Mother F Day is being proclaimed by the United Nations. Bolivia is probably the only country in the world that has a law about Mother F. The rights of Mother Earth. And you can look at some of those rights. Brethren, you heard Baal is seen as the Lord, ruler of heaven. Do you know any woman who is the queen of heaven? Any woman who is the queen of heaven? That's Mary. Mary has been raised to the standard of God to be worshipped. And you can Google appellations of Mary. Appellations of Mary. You will be shocked. She is the queen of everything. She rules. She is in charge. More powerful 
than Jesus Christ. Because he's a co, um, what do they say? Co-mediator. So, in paragraph 241 of the document, it starts praising Mary. And if Catholic praise Mary, I don't think anybody think too much about that. But when you start praising Mary, you start thinking about the immaculate heart of Mary. And then think back to the elements that Captain Planet in South America, the heart. Like these are all interconnected pieces of hidden information being handed to the world as environmentalism. And the Pope has said a day of prayer in the whole world, September 1st, for the earth. Because we need to do something. But you will realize that this is not only Catholics now. It's, as I said, the document is addressed to the whole world. And every sector. I've seen Muslims who are embracing it. I've seen Hindus who are embracing it. Everybody is embracing a Catholic document. And that is what the 16-year-old Greta Thunberg is promoting. She's done it in Europe and she's doing it in the United States. But the United States we live to see. Brethren, the one leg in the document that is showcasing Baal is the pantheistic view that it takes, which is what we've been going through. There is another element in the document, and that is the bigger sun worship. And the bigger sun worship finding relevance on Sunday. Sunday. We have known it for a long time. It's not a surprise to us that Sunday is worship as a Sunday, the venerable day of the sun back in 321, thereabout. We've known this. But what I'm saying is that they're renewed because we knew that that was for Catholics transferred to Protestants. But now it's going to the whole world. It doesn't matter whether you believe in church or you don't believe in church. Sunday is a day of worship. A day of veneration. That is the point where we are. That is where the contest is coming now. That is what 21st century people need to realize. The contest. What Baal is represented in the 21st century. Salvation Army, they release a call for climate justice. Release number seven. And the things that they are telling their congregants that they can do is keep the Sabbath. Wow! Salvation Army is going to keep the Sabbath. Good! No! They're not going to keep the Sabbath. They're not. That's not what they're talking about. 
It said, it could be the most radical thing a church can do, that is keep the Sabbath, for environmental stewardship. Oh, keep the Sabbath for environmental stewardship. Okay, to commit to keeping the Sabbath. The scriptures make constant reference to rest and care for the land, as well as for people on Sabbath. Spending time with family and friends and enjoying the free outdoors is an act of resistance to the pressures of materialism and consumerism. And don't be thrown off by Sabbath, because that is what the Pope said. He just just opposed Sunday and Sabbath. Just to make you see that, oh, they're the same. Um, just like the Sabbath, now Sunday. Because in the Catholic rendering, this is Catholic catechism. When they write the fourth commandment, they don't say remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. They say remember to keep the Lord's day holy. That's different. So they can say all they want to say about the Sabbath. That's not what they mean. There are influential people calling for Sunday to be recognized. There's a man called Satish Kumar. He is responsible for what we call Slow Sunday. And he said, not long ago, Sunday used to be a day of rest, a day of spiritual renewal, a day for families to come together. But we have changed Sunday from a day of rest to a day of shopping, flying and driving. While in the context of excessive carbon dioxide emissions into the atmosphere, which are bringing catastrophic upheavals, we can and should restore Sunday to a day for Gaia. Who? A day for who? Where did you hear Gaia? The spirit of the earth. So let's, let's give Sunday to the earth. And if he was the only one talking about it, they would say, oh, this is a lone ranger. There's a man called David Smaji. A very prominent economist, ecologist, lots of things. This is what Dr. David Smudger is suggesting in an article. He said... He's calling for an international day of rest. The article is a modest proposal for a day of rest. And the international day of rest, that is about 53 days per year, plus approximately 15 holidays, in which we cease from productive activity, which is approximately 70 days. 
or 20% of the year. These days of non-activity would help achieve the shared goal outlined in the Paris Climate Conference. So he's supporting climate agenda, but he's looking at it from don't do anything and we need holidays, days of rest, that 53 days, so he's thinking of what? One day a week. Okay, so let's ask the, let's he keep, let him keep going and then we'll see what he's thinking. He said, this frantic race, this is Dr. Smanger talking, this frantic race to go faster and faster make us forget essential things such as loving ourselves, others, and also our earth, says Dr. Smanger. The result is a global disaster whose ecological impact is more and more obvious. A Sabbath for ourselves, our industry, our environment is a corrective to these failures. What is he asking for? A day of rest. It's going to be on Saturday? <laughs> you wish. That is a sand worship. That is what he's calling for. The Pope has already said it. It's, it's, in, it's in one of the slides. Um, and he said... The benefits of when we meet on the Sabbath, uh, sorry, on, on the Sunday, just like the Jewish Sabbath, and what it means, blah, blah, blah. He's already set the agenda, and everybody is following it. Somebody has a very foresight, a long foresight, and he says, he started with F day, you know, F hour. Don't do anything. F day. Look at how he he looks at it. He said, forget F hour. What the earth needs is a planetary holiday. I have written about this in the context of F day in a blog. Time to do nothing. But here I would like to expand on the idea. Whereas in the original idea, I simply suggested that instead of F day, we should simply have 24 hours where any activity that requires non-human energy is simply not allowed. I now believe that the do-nothing day, or as I like to call it, planetary holiday, should be celebrated on the first day of spring. Then we can expand it to the first day of summer as well. Hopefully, We will, this will be soon followed by the fall and winter seasons as people to begin to realize the positive impact the holiday is having on the planet and the quality of our lives. We should then progress to once a month and eventually maybe in a decade or two when the robots take over, we would have a planetary day once a week. One as holy and important as Sundays used to be. Everybody singing the same song to the same tune and to the same effect. Brethren, if you look through the slides, you will see Sabbath for the earth and the poor, which is rooted in the document. 
the joy of Sunday in the light of Pope Francis' message. You will see Sabbath living, a project of blessed earth. Like, the rest, I'm not going to talk about it. Now, the parts that I'm leaving out is the political angle. When you go to Europe, before the European elections, there was a big push to inject this idea in their politics. So I'm not surprised that because election is coming in the United States, now it's in the United States. Because they know politicians. Look at the numbers. Look at the numbers. So brethren, back to Elijah. First Kings 18. And we see that Elijah is saying, how long would you falter between two opinions? If it's Yahweh, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. But the people answered nothing. And now we've seen the spirit of Baal in the 21st century. And look at young people. Striking. It started in Europe. Now it's the 20th in the United States. Young people. They say we would take it in our own hands. So now that we've seen that player. In the 21st century ball. What about the other player? I think we don't need to say a lot about the other player for people that are here and probably our friends and brothers who would be joining us online. But I want to point out something and cause you to think about your affinity to the God that we worship. Because this is a contest. And for you to win the contest, you have to identify the players and know which player needs to win. We can go to Exodus before Moses went to deliver the Israelites when God appeared to Moses and he's asking, who are you? If I go, what what should I tell them? Who is sending me? We can start from there, but I'm going to leave that and come to Exodus 20, a very familiar scripture. And we will use only that scripture to situate our God again and to emphasize what I really want to also emphasize with our God. Brethren, Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying. What did he say? God spoke all these, saying. What did he say? Let's listen to what he said. And these things are in quotes. Implying that God spoke these directly. And they were transcribed directly the way he said them. So, 
if that is given, the first line says, I am who? I am. Brethren, I want to tweak your mind here. What do you see next? I am the Lord. I want you to, whether you read it this way or that way, I want your head and your mind to be reflecting differently than you read. Because the God who spoke is introducing himself. And he said, I am who? My Bible is the New King James Bible. And when you go to the preface, the introduction, the translators said, wherever they put the capital letters L-O-R-D, do you have it in yours? What do, what do they say it means? They told me in my previous phase, I have checked it. I think you and I have the same Bible. If you look at the preface, look at the subtitle format. That would be page X1II. Have you seen it? And look, read the last paragraph for me, please. I don't know if it can be captured. tradition is maintained in the present edition uh, to the name and it is so capitalized whenever the covenant name is quoted in the New Testament from a passage in the Old Testament. Okay. So this is author's note to readers of the book. And they said, this is what we did. So it's a choice they made and I don't know who asked them to make that choice. That you are translating a book. You come to a word. And then whenever you see that word, you say, okay, we're going to represent that word by L-O-R-D in capital. Not because it means O-L-O-R-D. That's not what it means. It's just that we've made the executive decision that that is what we're going to do. And so we say, Lord, 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 Lord. And we will know who we are referring to. But how do you tell the other person that that is what you are referring to? Because the Bible said there are lots many. So which of the lots are you referring to? And when we get to the end of the contest, you will see why that is important. So when God is introducing himself... In the Hebrew language, he didn't see a Lord. He said something. The question is, what did he say to the people who were listening to him? I can say it exactly, but people say it differently. But we know that it's represented by the tetragrammaton. YHWH. 
and people propose it said differently. But at this point, however you're comfortable and able to say it, that is what is here. So what I would say, God is saying, I am Yahweh. Are you going to ask anybody a question, my brother, if you meet somebody and say, what's your name? And say, oh, who signed this document? He said, I, Louis, I did. When you are signing any document, what did you say? I put down your name today, whatever you are signing. You say that this is my authorship. This is my agreement. This is me doing this. So God is saying, this words that I'm saying, I am Yahweh, your God. You don't have any God. The only God you have is Yahweh. And I'm introducing this to you because this is very important for your existence. I am Yahweh. Your God. And if you don't know, I also tell you what I did. I am the same God who brought you. And at that time, it was the very same people. So I am the one who took you from the hand of Pharaoh. And brought you through the Red Sea. I brought you from the land of Egypt. Out of the house of bondage. And then he continued. You shall have no other gods. I am Yahweh. Your God. Make sure you don't get any other God. That's how we get a commandment. And so when you think about other gods, it's in reference to what? It's in reference to Yahweh. That you shouldn't have any semblance of a God that is comparable to Yahweh. And then he continues, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, Yahweh, I'm a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing mercy to the thousands who love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7. You shall not take the name Yahweh in vain. You have to honor me. I mean God speaking. You got to honor me and not take my name in vain. Don't take my name. Don't joke with my name. When I put my name on you, you got to live according to the standards of my name. My character. My essence. And don't play with my name. Yahweh. For Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Verse 8. 
Very important. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahweh, your God. Distinction. Clarity. The seventh day is the Sabbath of Yahweh, your God. This is how when somebody introduces anything else, you can judge. Because if it's not Yahweh's day, it's no day. Because you see, as we're going, some people say, oh, but if people worship on Sunday, I mean, I mean, they look at them the way they, they, they are very sincere. Well, it is not Yahweh's day. It doesn't matter. How would you know what belongs to your God? It has to bear his name. So he said, the Sabbath of Yahweh. Your God. In it, you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, or your stranger who is within your gate. For in six days, Yahweh. And I always say this. Look, if we kept the Sabbath, there would never have been an issue of evolution. If we kept the Sabbath... We wouldn't have ever have to deal with issue of evolution. Because every week, you know that you are here because of Yahweh, who created. So every week, you say he created, and then one day you get and say he didn't create. How are you going to do that kind of thinking in your head? It's not going to happen. But we threw it away. Not us here. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So this is how we know the contest players that we have identified Baal, we have identified the other party, not just the Lord is a placeholder. Who is that? Who is that word replacing? Who is it instead of? It is in the stead of Yahweh. And brethren, don't entertain any thought in your head about what people call sacred name and whatever. I don't care. I care about what is in the scripture. This is more than 7,000 times this word is replete in the Bible. And anytime they hide it from you, not letting you experience the fellowship of a personal God who is introducing himself to you and saying, I, Yahweh. And brethren, I give you this exercise. When you go home, take Psalm 23. This is my test exercise. Take Psalm 23 and read it. And wherever you see Lord, don't say Lord. Say whatever you you are able to say with the tetragrammaton. And see how close that comes to you than just saying Lord as if it's something far away from you. If you said 
Yahweh is my shepherd. It's different from the Lord is my shepherd. As if you, you say something from somewhere. But you say Yahweh. It makes you think, who is Yahweh? What is my relation with him? What has he done for me? Yahweh is my shepherd. Read it again and see how it sounds. Read the Ten Commandments like we read and see how close God is relating to you in his ten words. And how he wants you to understand everything is moving around him. And when we say the first part of the commandment is about God, that is how you see that it is about God. Because you see how it comes so personal to you. And how he's intricately weaving himself in all those commandments to show how he's central in all of them. So now we know the players. Let's go back to First Kings 18 again. We don't need to define the people. The people are the people. But I'm happy that we define the key players. And we have done that. So verse, he said, the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left of the prophets of Yahweh. So now I'm picking that understanding and putting it in the context. So you will see how it will unfold. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let give us two bulls. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God that's been identified as Baal, and I will call on the name of Yahweh. Keep in mind that the people that are gathered there, they didn't hear the word Lord, like the um, other Hebrews would say Adonai. They, they, Elijah didn't use the word Adonai to them. He, whatever he said, the tetragrammaton to them, they knew that he said two things in front of them. One is Baal, and the other is Yahweh. So they were clear the difference that the choice was. So now, then you call the name of your gods, and I'll call the name of Yahweh, the God who answers by fire. He would be God. The one that's going to answer by fire, that is the standard. Your God, Baal, my God, Yahweh, which of them answers by fire? He is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. We agree. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourself. Prepare it first, for you are many, and call the name of your God, and put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given to them, and they prepared and called on the name of Baal morning, evening, till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. 
There was no, no one answer. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. They made their own altar. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, maybe, uh, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is meditating, he is busy, he is on a journey, perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cry aloud and cut themselves as their custom with knives and lances until blood gushed out on them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening service, sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered, and no one paid attention. Verse 30, which we read in the scripture reading. Thank you, Brother Bob. Then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of Yahweh. This is altar that was there, not the one that the uh, Baal prophets used. This is God's altar. And he prepared it, repaired it, because it was broken down. Elijah took 12 stones to represent the totality of God's people, according to the number of the tribe of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of Yahweh had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh. And he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seeds of seeds. And he put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood, then he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran out around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. He just want to make sure that nobody say, oh, you see, you made us do it in the morning. And look at how the sun has risen. And now things are so dry and the rocks can spark fire or whatever. That environmentalists and scientists can say, Take all out. Water, 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 water. Make it soak, stretch, wet. He did that. And then it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, he's not praying. Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I'm your servant and that I have done all these at your word. Hear me, O Yahweh. Hear me that these people may know that you, Yahweh, God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stone and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. 
Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, what did they say? And they said, they had two options. They have Baal and they have Yahweh. What did they say? Now they know which God answered by fire. And they have to call him out and say that he is the one that answered by fire. And he said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is the God. Yahweh, he is God. And everybody is praising him. Yahweh, he is God. And you think they are not mentioning him? The contest is over. Who stood tall? Our God. Yahweh. Our God. He stood tall. Taller. Than Baal. That stood in opposition. So this jubilation. That went on. Was specifically. Saying. We know the God. Who is God. And it is not God being God. Like we usually say, oh, what are, I worship God. Yes, you worship God. Who is your God? You have to know who you worship and verbalize who you worship. Because when a contest comes, you got to be clear. Let everybody know where you stand. That you worship the God that answered by fire, who is Yahweh. And not just words coming out of our mouth. That is not showing anything. And I don't know what is in that name that some people don't want to say it. At least, I know two groups of people that say they don't want to say it. Including the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has sent a letter to all the priests around the world. That when they celebrate the Mass, they should not use the word Yahweh in the service. Can go to any mass. They would never say that word. Because the boss said, you can't say it. Why would they not want to identify with the God that answers by fire? And so why is it that the whole Bible, we love the King James Bible. We love the translation. We love the quality. Why is it that they hide the God that would should be on our lips as our God? Hide it in under L-O-R-D. That we never have that affinity with him just by name. Look at how your children might call you. Mama, daddy. Like they're building that rapport. When Jesus Christ was praying, said, Our father. He's making the reference. That is endearment. But... We have been deprived of this. And the reason this becomes very important is that look at some of the slides. Sabbath for the earth. And you're thinking, you go, it, 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 it makes some people think, oh, they, they're talking about Sabbath. They're not talking about Sabbath of Yahweh. They're doing their own thing, they want to rest. For something else. We have to know the difference. And it's so important. 
our pastor, Pastor Watson, um, came to Toronto. He gave us a, a, a good foundation of Sabbath-keeping history in the United States. People who stood keeping Sabbath, the seventh day of Yahweh. But that is the remnant. That is just the remnant who are doing their best. But the overall history of the United States in all the colonies was not seven days of keeping. This all of them were first day Sabbath keeping. And they made laws, Sabbath laws, but when you read it, they're talking about Sunday. So it will possibly resurface again when you will hear the Sabbath commandment. But the import of the commandment is not the seven-day commandment. And so that is where you have to be alive to the God that you are dealing with. And not let anybody bully you into saying that they are also keeping a Sabbath when it is not the Sabbath of Yahweh. The small things that we could read. But brethren, it is time for the Lord to act. Psalm 119, verse 25, uh, sorry, 126. It is time for Yahweh to act because they have broken his law. They have broken the law. Our people have shunned the law of God. And when you break the first commandment by putting gear or any other semblance of worship in the first commandment, you throw away Yahweh. And if you come down to the fourth commandment and you keep any other day, you throw the authority of the one behind it all. So in essence, by the first commandment, by fourth commandment, Yahweh is overthrown. And people do whatever they want to do. But it is time for our God, Yahweh, to act. Because the commandments have been broken. Therefore, 27, I love your commandment more than good, even purest of good. We have to love God and his word and his commandment. More than gold, even the purest of gold. In order to be able to stand and differentiate between our God and any other entity that may want to come between us and Yahweh. Brethren, we know that God took Israel out of his sight because of all this buildup. Overthrew them. Other nations came for them. What may happen to you and I, I don't know. But if we stand steadfast, if we love God's commandments more than gold, even the purest of gold, He 
has us covered. He got us inscribed in the palm of his hand. He has us covered like the apple of his eye. He knows how to deliver the godly out of ungodliness. We love to be at his feet. We love to know that he is our God. We love to make a choice for him. We love to follow him. And all this cacophony that's around us that is making things blurry, that we can know the difference. Brethren, we thank God for this afternoon and we thank God for him revealing himself unto us and we pray that he would continue to let us see the difference in the things that we've seen around us. Shall we pray? Eternal God, our Father, most righteous God, we give you thanks and we praise you. We lift you up and we say you alone are God. This afternoon, Father, we submit our hearing and our speaking, all that has been said and heard into your hands, that you who send your word not for nothing, but to accomplish every purpose that you have determined. Let this word that came accomplish what the purpose that you have. What is out of malice, what is out of human machinations, Father, we plead that you would forgive us and take it out. But let the pure word be accomplished in our lives. Father, we commit our brethren who are at the receiving end online into your hands that, Father, we will all come to know your will and follow it and know that Yahweh, you, our God. May your name be praised forever and ever in Yeshua the Christ's name. Amen.